0: Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. All right, I am back this week. I have a guest here with me today that I'm super pumped to talk with. I have been following her on Instagram for quite some time now at Social Justice Parenting. I'm not a parent myself, but I really enjoy her content and the conversations that she started. So I wanted to invite her here today to continue that conversation and dive deeper into some of these subjects. So I will let you introduce yourself a little bit Tell us who you
1: are and what is your story? Thanks for having me, Whitley. My name is Tracy Baxley, and I am the creator of Social Justice Parenting, which is really a philosophy in parenting that really helps us to see others, to feel others, and to show up for others, and to teach our children to kind of do the same. It's really about how we engage in dialogue that is inclusive and Mm -hmm. teaching our kids to really show up in the world with more compassion and compassion kindness and activism. And so that all started really through the lens of me being a mother. I'm a mother of five kids and they are biracial. My husband is white, but I raised my kids to kind of know what it's like to live in brown skin in the world. A lot of the work that I'm doing is really out of, you know, wanting them to live in a world where their skin color doesn't matter. I'm an educator and a consulting and coach, and I work with a lot of families and businesses around creating spaces of belonging and inclusion in their lives and for the people around them.
0: It's such important work. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. So you have this social justice parenting model. What does it look like to be parenting out of fear versus your social justice parenting model? And why is that fear-based parenting harmful? And I ask this question because I have, through different conversations with parents, they've been very cautious to talk about. The current issues that are going on in the world with their children, or don't know how to approach these topics with them. And I've heard almost wanting to keep their kids in a bubble that they're so young, I don't want to invoke this fear in them about all of these different things that are going on because they're uncomfortable topics, but it is necessary. And obviously, that's why I have you here. So, how is this parenting? out of love instead of fear?
1: It's really a great question. And I think as parents and really as, as human beings, right? When we look at the people that we love and the people that are part of our worlds, we all want to protect them. We all want to keep them safe. As parents, sometimes we're not sure what we're doing and we don't want to mess up as parents. Mm-hmm. We always want to do the right thing, but as we're growing and we're evolving and really redefining what the right thing looks like, there's a lot of fear in that. There's a fear that in getting it right. There's a fear in not wanting to expose our kids to things that may cause them fear. You know, I hear a lot of, like you said, keep them in the bubble and and they don't want to take away their innocence. I think when we parent from this place of fear that we are parenting only looking at it from the lens of our own children, that we can't practice what I call radical love and fear at the same time. When we're using that fear to guide our parenting, it makes it difficult really for us to see the world from other perspectives because we're so focused on protecting our own children. We forget that there's a A lot of children, a lot of other people out there who are not being protected. And if we want to change the way the world works, we really have to move away from the fear and move into what I say is radical love, Mm -hmm. which is really like this unconditional love right that requires us to show up for other people even when it's hard even when it's difficult and really expect nothing in return it's really about looking at perspectives of other people seeing the humanness in Mm -hmm. all of us and having that being fueled by compassion and understanding and this idea promoting of of healing and growing as a human being for others and so when you stay in that fear you it's impossible to be able to do that
0: and those sentiments that I was talking about earlier are rooted in a lot of privilege because if white parents are saying they want to keep their white children in these bubbles or they're too young to talk about these issues or you know all those different things it's like that's very different for black children or children of color where their parents have to talk to them about these things at a young age in order to keep them safe aware of their blackness in the world and how that shows up and so not having to be forced to talk about these subjects with your kids is a privilege in itself and I think your radical love is beautiful and I want to expand on that because I think some people can use those sentiments in bypassing or weaponizing ways that like well we already teach love and acceptance in our house so we don't need to go further into these issues and and what they cover because our Our kids don't see color or different things Mm -hmm. like that when really like radical love and the kind thing to do is to acknowledge these differences and is hold space for other people's pain or trying to dismantle these oppressive systems.
1: I think what you're saying is spot on because raising good people is not enough, right? You can be compassionate, you can be kind. I mean, think about, I think about like some people in the public eye that cause harm to other people. You can talk to their family members and they will say, he was such a good, person. He really is a kind person. Mm -hmm. And so being a kind person is nice, but it really is only the start. We're talking about you know race-related issues. We want to start moving people into this idea of anti-racism because it's more than just being kind. It's being active in Mm -hmm. dismantling individual and systemic racism and things that are inequities and unjust behaviors in our world. And so I love what you said about this idea of weaponizing certain phrases or certain topics, ways of being, I know when I work with parents, they're always afraid of this idea of privilege, especially when it comes to white privilege, you know, mm-hmm. because it has been used in ways that weaponize lately or separate. And I think if we look at it in terms of not as something used as a weapon, but if we can use our privilege and spaces as a tool for change, mm-hmm. whether that is my socioeconomic status, whether it's your whiteness, whether it's your maleness, whatever those things are, we all have privileges and identities in multiple spaces. And the idea of privilege is about using that label that you have that is seen as centered in the world in a way that it is supporting other people who are not centered in that way. We get over that fear of white privilege as something negative, look at it as how do I use this as a tool for change to support people who don't who are not empowered in that space because a
0: lot of times privilege comes with a lot of power, and so if you are using that power to actively be anti racist and to dismantle these oppressive systems and like create change, then you can be using that for good,
1: yes, and that we teach in the homes.
0: I think, again, your sentiments around radical love being talking about these things and acknowledging these things. I think it's so important because the impact is so much more important than the intention because we can be raising kids to be kind and to be compassionate or good people. But if we are just saying, well, they had such good intentions, they were good kids, then we aren't acknowledging the other person being hurt or the microaggressions or these systems at play because we're just tied to our identity as a good person or that we had good intentions or we raised raised our kids to be good kind kids and so I think it is getting
1: past that and recognizing that that's not enough Mm -hmm. that we really have to be more proactive in how we raise our children to really change permanent changes in the world
0: I think the fear-based parenting versus your social justice parenting is huge because when you are parenting out of fear or just In general, when you are in fear, you get defensive. You're not able to listen and hold Mm -hmm. space for other people. And it just creates a disconnection, a disconnect. And so if you are rooted in this radical love, then you are able to get outside of yourself and your own perspective and hear other people out and hold space for that and you know it's a very different feeling it's a very different dynamic
1: the radical love is more open-minded open-hearted when you're in fear you're closed and you're guarded
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so it's hard to make changes it's hard to see perspective and it's hard to move forward when you're parenting from this fear yes. so yes let's stay open-minded let's stay open-hearted in order to make changes. In the world, And I am hopeful, like I believe we can do it. I mean, I look at like the Black Lives Matter movement and who's a part of that now. It's such a diverse group of young people. And I just think the next two generations, it's a pivotal time for us in our country because you all are sitting really at the crossroads of where we can go as a country. Your generation, the generation that follows you are really key to determining where we go. And I think right. the more we are parenting from a place, That is open, we can really make some real permanent changes that are really needed in our society.
0: I think it's been really cool watching all of these young people use their voices. And I think we don't give young people as much credit as we should, especially adults or parents saying that their children are too young to understand these concepts or, you know, they're too innocent when very young children can absolutely. Have these conversations and understand these concepts. Obviously, it needs to be age appropriate, and you know the language around it, so that they understand. But they're very capable of learning these things or unlearning these things and communicating and advocating.
1: To me, it's a choice between allowing the world to teach them this, mm-hmm. or Twitter, or TikTok, or whatever it is, or giving me the opportunity to pour into my kids things that align with with our values, and so. Right. It's happening and you can choose to either allow somebody else to do it or that you can do it in a way that you're controlling is not the right word, but you're influencing more mm-hmm. of what they believe and the content that they get.
0: Being an active part in it.
1: And I think, you know, having these open dialogues with your kids about tough things, it allows your children to connect to you in ways that builds trust. Yeah. So it creates these safe spaces for kids for these heart conversations that happen. So when our kids are older, they feel like they can come to us and talk to us about things because we've taught them that they can. And it allows them again, to learn about the world in a way that aligns with the values that you hold high and high regard, you know, your core values to your own house and your own home will come through as you have these conversations and dialogues with your kids. And it, it just puts us in the driver's seat.
0: You know, being able to have this dialogue with your kids and build this relationship, it allows them a, a space to genuinely ask questions or understand better in a safe space. Last summer when we were going to protests and making signs, I have a very young brother and he was like, we should put the All Lives Matter on poster. And because we're having these conversations, we're able to explain like, actually, All Lives do matter. But that's not a very supporting phrase to use in this context and be able to educate. And then he was like, understood, but coming from a place of like, you know, genuinely wants to help and understand and thought it was out of
1: good intent. Yeah, right. That's being kind and compassionate. He right. was trying to be inclusive, which is beautiful. And then that is why we had those conversations, right? So you were mm-hmm. able to guide him in a way to say, well, we're not really leaving people." Out. But we're just <laughs> stressing that Black Lives Matter, too, right now, because Mm -hmm. they're hurting the worst, I think is exactly a great example of why these conversations are needed. Because yeah, as you were
0: saying, like being kind and compassionate and having good intent isn't enough because then you can still make harmful impacts and microaggressions
1: will happen. And if we don't continue to talk about it, people will not know that they're making mistakes. And so one thing that I know parents are afraid, again, this fear-based, they're afraid of saying the wrong things or making the mistakes, but Mm -hmm. I think Not saying anything is the biggest mistake that you can make. The other things you grow and you learn, you say something wrong, you apologize. If you're teaching your child something that's not right, you go back and fix it. I taught Mm -hmm. you this. I said this, but this is not right. We should not say this. This is what I know now. And you're growing and you're learning together and you're teaching your kids that they don't have to have all the answers right away, but that learning and growing is a process and that you'll be doing it all of your adult life. And it teaches them that idea of persistence. Mm -hmm. of continuing learning and trying new things.
0: And I think that you don't have to know all the answers as the parent. If they do come to you with a question and you genuinely don't know or don't have a good answer or need to process that, like getting back to them and doing your research or finding resources or you know a coach like you or a podcast episode talking about this kind of stuff that showing your children that you don't know everything and that's okay and it's okay to like seek that information or those resources elsewhere from people that do exactly so let's unpack your social justice parenting model more I know on your website you have the rocks method let's talk mm-hmm. about that
1: so the social justice parenting is is just a tool I think the way that we show up for our kids and I do have it under the acronym rocks which is just kind of an easy way to remember some of the pieces so the R is for reflection and often this is the hardest part for people in general. Right? right? So mm-hmm. you are reflecting on your own biases, your own stereotypes, your own ways that you grew up, your own childhood experiences to unpack them. You know, Because we all have things in our childhood that we don't want to repeat as parents. And we all have some wonderful things that happened to us growing up that we want to make sure that they're part of our parenting as we grow up. And so if we're not consciously thinking about those things, especially the negative things. We will repeat them out of habit. And so reflecting on those things is really important. So that you can intentionally show up as a parent to do the things that you feel will best serve your children as they grow up. So reflection is really the beginning. And then the O stands for open dialogue. And that's exactly what we were just talking about. The importance of having these conversations, creating safe spaces so that our kids can come to us with tough things and they feel safe and they feel heard and valued. And then the C is for compassion. And I look at it from different lenses, right? It's compassion compassion, self-compassion. So how are we giving ourselves grace? How are we showing compassion for ourselves? Because that's what our children are watching, how we treat ourselves. And then also obviously teaching our kids compassion and showing compassion for our children. And then the third level is really showing compassion out in the world. And then the K is kindness. It's the same thing self-kindness, kindness kindness in our families, kindness in the world. So kindness to me is compassion and action. So it's about starting to do the things that show people that you care. Mm -hmm. And then the S is this idea of social engagement. So this is where we're talking about the more raising anti-racist kids, how we're becoming activists and having some action behind making changes in the world in terms of inequities and unjust practices. So it's about raising our kids in this way so that We are creating a generation of people who will take that out into the world and make those changes in the world. Always talk about parenting being an act. Of activism because whatever we're teaching our kids behind closed doors is what's going to show up in public spaces. And so we have to do the work inside our homes if we want to make the changes that we are looking for out in the world. It starts in our own homes.
0: I love that you said parenting is an act of activism in itself because I think you're right. Our children, they grow up and, you know, to a certain extent, to a certain age, everything they know about the world and they learn about the world is coming from you. And yes. their interactions with you and your conversations with you. And so that role is very, very important. And if you aren't having those conversations,
1: then they aren't being exposed to any of that at all. That's exactly right. You're talking about their foundational years. You mm-hmm. have more influence on them than anybody, you know, until they become preteens and then their friends matter. But think about what you can instill in them in those first eight to 10 years of their lives.
0: What do these conversations look like? What conversations? conversations or topics do you feel are mandatory and from what age do you start having this conversation? I think we start
1: almost immediately, especially by the time they're one and two, you can already start to position them ways of feeling like they belong and being a part of inclusion and diversity. I mean, I always tell people with young kids, like, you know, two and three year olds, you really can start doing anti-racist work just by talking about skin color and Mm -hmm. things that are fair and unfair and noticing differences, talk about how wonderful differences are, exposing your kids. Kids to different cultures and different kinds of people, places that you go, the places that you visit, it's starting early normalizing differences. So when they see or hear things, it doesn't throw them off or they feel uncomfortable with it. Right. Also, we have to be careful as adults. Sometimes we put our own fears and embarrassments and ways of feeling onto our children, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to race-related issues. You know, I don't know how many times we've seen in grocery stores or somewhere that kids are pointing out differences and parents are so embarrassed about it that they're trying to keep them quiet or telling them it's not right or not nice. And the kids, it's just our natural curiosities and we should feed into that and not kind of shut it down. Mm. So I think in my family, there is no conversation that's off limits. We talk about everything that's going on in the world. I listen to NPR a lot in my car and, you know, those are all kind of real world topics that come up and, you know, I would turn it down and I turn around to my boys in the back seat and we'd have conversations about Things And I think creating routines in your house in terms of maybe safe spaces to have those conversations. Maybe it's a dining room table. Maybe it's a corner in a, in a family room. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a certain place that kids feel like this is where I can let down my guard. This is where these conversations are normal in our house maybe it's a time like on a Sunday night we have family night family meetings on Sunday afternoons or Sunday evenings Mm -hmm. maybe that's a time that you're having these conversations but set times and spaces in your home where kids know they can be their authentic selves and ask these hard questions even when they make the parent uncomfortable and that's another thing too this idea of being uncomfortable I think it's good just if you embrace that that the work is uncomfortable and knowing being uncomfortable is normal that you can move forward in that. I think when you start being comfortable doing the work, even myself, when I feel comfortable doing the work, I feel like I need to be pushing myself to do more things that scare me. It's the only way for us to grow and for us to learn and to go further and deeper in, into the work of creating a world that's just and fair for our kids.
0: And I think that children's curiosity can be a great starting point. And those questions, you know, if you are unsure of where to start or where to take the conversation. Conversation, just opening it up for questions and seeing what they are observing or what they're just genuinely curious about or want to know. Like starting with asking them if they have any questions, I think is a really good idea.
1: I I love the open ended questions, you know, Mm -hmm. just like, thank you for sharing that. Tell me more. Where Mm -hmm. did you hear that from? Or what would you do? Because you get to learn what they know, what they think they know. You get to see where there may be some misconceptions or some stereotyping they're mm-hmm. thinking that you can fix. And I think allowing them that time to just talk and us kind of zipping our mouths to just actively listen is really important. I mean, they feel valued and, and seen, and I think they, they'll show up more because they feel like they have a space that they can talk.
0: Instead of just talking at them, it's giving them an active role as well to engage and have that dialogue. Definitely.
1: I sometimes struggle too with the active listening because I want to fix things for my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And sometimes they don't want us to fix it. They just want us to listen. So why is
0: it doing them a disservice to keep them in the dark or ignorant or protected from going on in the world? We've kind of touched on this, but let's talk about it some more.
1: I think part of it is if we keep them sheltered from it, when they do go out into the world, they don't have any practice of knowing how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to be out into the world and something happens and they don't have the words for it. They don't have a response to it. You know, sometimes at home, you should model or practicing, how do you respond when somebody says this? How do you act? What do you do when this happens in the world? What's the best way for you to respond to that or ignore that or whatever it is? So if we're ignoring these things in our homes, we're setting them up to not be independent, to not be able to self-advocate. And it's, it's not giving them the skills that they need to be whole human beings out in the world. I think that's really important. And again, it's allowing the world to teach your kids these important values about the way you show up in the world that you may not agree with or you may not feel like it aligns with the core values of your home. And I think giving that power over to the world is really dangerous for you as a parent.
0: Yeah, and it's equipping them with the skills to be able to engage in healthy ways instead of being completely caught off guard when something does come up or something is said and maybe like freezing in that moment, they will be familiarized or comfortable having these kinds of conversations so they can stand up for what's right or hold someone accountable or start that conversation with their peers.
1: And I can tell you, you know, in most Black homes, we've had those conversations about certain things with our Mm kids, about how to respond to, to law enforcement, about how to respond when there's some racist taunting, when there's some microaggressions. We teach our kids really how to navigate in a world that's racialized, how to be proud of who they are in terms of their racial identity, in terms of their their self-esteem. Those are important conversations that need to be had in every home, but particularly people of color, because we want our kids to be equipped with dealing with the things that they're going to experience outside of the home. Mm -hmm. And I think if we are, again, trying to change what's going on in the world, every white parent needs to be having those conversations too. How do you stand up against somebody who's bullying somebody because they are black or brown or because of their hair texture or because of their sexual orientation. If we're not talking about those things in our homes, how do we teach our kids to be upstanders for others? So it's important that we're having those conversations for multiple reasons, but really ultimately so that every child feels safe when they go out into the world and they feel valued and heard. Having these
0: conversations and equipping them with the language or the skills to stand up for these things or talk to their peers about these things it is the kind thing to do and it it is teaching them that radical love but it's also teaching them to be more empathetic and understanding and aware of other kids needs and dynamics and identities and you know all of these things
1: yes Exactly. It has to start young and has to start in the house.
0: Absolutely. So how can you encourage youth to become engaged and informed in social justice issues?
1: I think it starts really about you being a role model, you modeling this for them, you living by example. They get to see it every day and what you do. I think building habits of compassion and kindness so that becomes normal for your kids. Going back to the open dialogue, really having those heart conversation so they're not afraid to have them outside of the home as they become young adults in the world. I think exposing them to differences early, exposing them to the inequities that are in the world so that they can see as a family, there's some things that we can do. So I think the more you are modeling it at home, talking about it at home and having action around it at home, it becomes normal for your kids to live looking for ways to show up in the world as an activist. And I think it just becomes a cycle of them continuing to do that and to grow up teaching their children to do the same.
0: It's like the phrase like mommy see mommy do like yes. You can talk the talk but if you're not walking the walk. You know, in a different sense I I say we can teach our kids like gossiping or bullying is not okay and to be kind but then if you turn around and they hear you on the phone with your girlfriend like yes. gossiping about all these people they're going to pick up on those habits and they're going to see those things instead of just hearing the things that you're talking at them about. And so if you are actively engaging in these social justice issues and you are changing your habits or you know having this active role, they will follow in those footsteps most likely as well.
1: Yes, and I believe the most important thing that we can do is model the behaviors and the values that we want our children to grow up with. Mm-hmm. We have to create belonging in our homes so we're raising children who create belonging in the world and that is by practice modeling them seeing and doing yeah absolutely so
0: I'm sure you've been doing this work for quite some time and it is very apparent that it, it means a lot to you and you're very passionate about it. So what is the greatest lesson or takeaway or maybe interaction that you have had or that you've learned from
1: this work? I would say it's taught me how to be a better mom. It's really taught me to see the world through their lenses and what my role is as their mother to move beyond protecting them and mm-hmm. to allow them to really, Really become more independent because I was was more of the protective kind of mama bear mm-hmm. when my kids were younger, especially my older two. Doing more of this work really has allowed me to become a better mom and to support other moms in the journey that I myself have gone through.
0: And I think going back to like the fear-based parenting versus the empowering social justice parenting, I think instead of protecting them or trying to fix things for them, having these conversations is empowering them and it's equipping them with the skills to do these things themselves or have these conversations themselves instead of you know swooping in to fix or protect or keep them in that bubble
1: yes i say we should move from protecting to preparing
0: Mm, i really like that so what is the one lesson if you could choose one lesson to instill in your children what would you want that to be as they've been growing up
1: Hmm, that's hard. The legacy you want to leave your kids include so many lessons. But I think if I could sum it up in one lesson, I would say I need to know that my kids understand the importance of having compassion for Mm -hmm. others and standing up for what they believe in. And I think, you know, if they understand the concept of radical love, they will be able to do all these things.
0: It's a beautiful sentiment. So to wrap up, what do you want listeners to take away from from this episode. And further, what would you say to parents that are maybe struggling with these things?
1: I would say that the idea of activism really starts at home and Mm -hmm. parenting is activism so whether you're recognizing it or not you're teaching your children who and what they will be when they go out into the world and if it's based in fear that's a kid that you're going to create a Mm -hmm. kid who's afraid so know the power of your role as a parent really is the standard for how they're going to feel about themselves and how they're going to show up for others.
0: Absolutely. So if people want to reach out, connect with you, work with you, where can
1: they find you? I think the most active place is on Instagram at mm-hmm. social justice parenting. And then if you go to my website, which is socialjusticeparenting.com, there are different ways that we can work one on one or I do group coaching with parents that it's all laid out on the website. But I think just to interact with the village, I call it the village, Instagram is a, is a great place to start.
0: Awesome. I will have those linked in the show notes for anyone that is interested.
1: The book, the social justice parenting book oh, that yes. I wrote, it's all of this stuff, but goes a little bit deeper it is now in pre-sale which is also on instagram there's a link and it comes out and this fall if anybody thinks they're interested please order pre-sale that would help a lot i'm excited about that what's the name of the book it's called Social Justice Parenting, Raising Children Who Are Compassionate, Anti-Racist, in An Unjust World. So it's all of the stuff we talked about, but more and deeper. Yeah. Brings a lot of my experiences as a mom, as a part of the book.
0: Yes, we will also include that as well. That is so exciting. Thank you. So to finally end off, I always end the episodes with a little song recommendation because I think music is powerful. So do you have a song that resonates resonates with you and your story? I
1: love this question. I have two songs. I could not narrow it down. <laughs> they center me. They center my work. One of them, I played for my children when they were younger to wake up to. They are both by India Ari. Oh, um, she's one such a is, beautiful artist. I love her so much. One is I Am Light, mm. and the other one is Sacred Space. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, because I'm such an empath, mm-hmm. and when I need time, time to kind of let go of other people's stuff. The sacred space is really the place that I go to kind of center myself, to let go, to recenter, to fill myself up with me a little bit more so yeah. that I can go back and do more work. So I Am Light and Sacred Space by Indy are the two that always brings me back to center.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I'll have those songs linked as well. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here. I really appreciate you and your voice and everything that you're doing in the world. It's so important. So needed.
1: Thank you so much. And I applaud the work that you're doing to your generation. You guys amaze me. I'm, I'm just so proud of the work that you guys are doing in the world. So keep at it.
0: Thank you. All right. That is all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.